a lot of times I'm quiet and I'm observing, I'm watching, I'm listening. I'm kind of taking in what's going on. And I think there's a misconception that as a coach, you need to be giving cues. You need to be constantly talking. You need to be constantly, in my opinion, distracting what's going on. And so at the beginning of every day, me and my assistant, I brief them and we go over kind of what the objective is, what we need to improve on, you know, as, as coaches or, you know, as a whole, as a program. And one of the things we talk about is who can say the least amount of words. That was Jamie Smith, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle stimulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System in KBox or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that, as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step by step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of data collecting strips, the contact grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, another show. So uh, this one was just more than a show. This one was truly a conversation between myself and Jamie Smith of the U of Strength. Jamie and I, uh, I didn't even realize this until we actually did the show, but Jamie and I both have daughters who are about the same age, and so we, we enjoy watching our kids and watching them in their natural state, exploring and learning and moving. And it's really hard not to make connections between how your child learns automatically and then what we're going and doing every day as a coach. The first time Jamie was on the podcast, we talked a lot about his systems of perception reaction and going beyond simply serving athletes on the levels of strength and physical preparedness, but really getting into the decision-making, the time and space constraints, making them a better athlete on every level. And this episode goes into full circle development by means of training variability, the use of nature and natural surfaces and training from young athlete all the way up to an older and more developed uh, level athlete. We're going to talk a lot about menu systems and athlete autonomy, giving athletes decision and making them a part of the training process, especially as athletes uh, get older. We're going to talk about how Jamie uses competition, tons of stuff on long-term development and more. This was a fantastic show. Jamie takes the art of coaching as a guide seriously. In a world where athletes are so often overcoached and very robotic, Jamie is such a breath of fresh air, and I love talking to him about this stuff. The last thing or last couple things before we get started, 
One is about halfway through the show, uh, you'll hear my mic lose a little bit of quality. Uh, that'll happen for a couple of minutes and it will come back. So sorry about that. And lastly, this show is sponsored by Simply Faster and Lost Empire Herbs. And you can get 15% off your Lost Empire Herbs order by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash just fly. All right, let's get on to the show. James, man, I know I haven't uh, talked to you at least on this podcast since the whole COVID thing hit. I know you've been, you were talking to me before the show about some of the, like the natural training, like training in nature and, and those types of elements that that has brought out. I don't know if you're doing that before, but tell me a little bit about some of the, the natural and using nature in your training and with either your athletes or I know you're with your daughter. What have you been learning lately on that end? Yeah, it's it's definitely been one piece to the puzzle, so to speak, that I've been extremely fascinated obviously out of necessity with being limited due to the current state. And it started off simple, like it started off real simple, just seeing, okay, what brands so I would, you know, use my daughter. All right. And so for, for people, my daughter's four, almost five years old. So she's a, she's a little one, but just simple. Okay. Let's see what branch we can hang from and see how long we can do it. Uh, you know, in the backyard. And it just started to, we call it, and it's so funny every, every morning. And now it's turning to a, an AM and PM thing. And we call it our movement challenge. So before we, you know, eat breakfast, before she brushes her teeth, data, what's the movement challenge. And so literally whether it's, you know, snows outside, rains outside movement challenge, unless it's pitch blackout is typically done always outside. And so whether it's, we have a trampoline, whether it's, we have a bunch of different boulders and stuff outside, we have, you know, we have a ton of woods, and so we just started to explore. I was a kid again, and I was just trying to find different ways to get my daughter engaged with movement. Um, so obviously, you know, we, we feel movement is so important. And it was just starting off simple with one thing, then it turned into another and another, another. And I just saw how engaged my daughter was, how engaged I was, because I would do it with her. And it was like, all right, we got to start getting this into the U.S. strength. We got to start getting this into the weight room setting. And so we just, we started off, I'm in an industrial park, but inside that industrial park, we, we do have, you know, just some different hills, some different boulders, some different smaller rocks. And we just started trying different things, whether it was throwing rocks, whether it's, we, we do at the beginning, you know, so, so uh, a lot of people, you know, to wake up the feet, you know, you would roll with a sensory ball or a spiky ball. Shit. We did isometrics. We did different gait patterns, walking up and down, walking tall, walking in a tunnel, you know, through rocks, completely barefoot yeah, through the rocks, rocks, man. We would do stuff where, you know, just walking through the snow, walking through the cold, just doing different things outside to kind of get the big thing I tell the athletes is we want you to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And I think a lot of people say that, but trying these different things and allowing the athletes to connect with the environment or to connect with nature it might be one of the best, war I don't like to use warm-up pre-training tools that we have. So it really started off with that. And then it started to evolve where we do different things, different depth drops, altitude landings off of all of these different boulders. But then we turn it into a plyo course where we would have, I would, I, I would put constraints where it'd be like, okay, hey guys, you got three movements. They can choose whether they jump, bound, hop, they push off with their hands. I'm like, you have three movements. Let me see what you got. And so, and then we would have, you know, a big boulder, a medium-sized boulder, a smaller boulder. And every time they go, we would change the boulder. All right. So think of it like a plyo body. We would change, you know, which rock that they could use to complete the three movements. Then it started to turn into, instead of using med balls, we started doing different rock throws where it would be 
it, and it wouldn't get crazy where the rock was 300 pounds, but we would challenge them and say, you know, let's find different rock sizes, different shapes where it would put the hands at unique angles. And it's just, that was probably one of the, I got the best reception from that. They really, a lot of the athletes really enjoyed, enjoyed the challenge of, you know, trying to pick up who got the biggest rock and throw it the furthest. Really yeah. simple, simple human things that I feel are so important. And so it's, it's got me, you know, thinking a little bit more, you know, like we talked before we started this, when I do grow in my next facility is how can I make this a staple and how can we make this a standard at the U of strength in, 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 inside our program. So that's kind of how we started it off with my athletes. I like, um, like the, the walking on rocks thing. I really love, I think about it's our, our daughters actually must be similar ages. Mine's going to be five pretty soon here. And so it's fun watching both of them. My daughter's four and my son's two going to be three soon. And so I think about a few things that you made me uh, think about. One yeah. was when, yeah, when COVID hit back in California, the playground's closed. And so the next best thing now is to go and just have kids climb trees. And you watch them climb and there's so many more options. There's so many more things for them to manipulate. And, and I'm just standing and, you know, just you just put them by the tree and they're going to go climb it. And they're getting so much from a motor perspective versus... I mean, sure, they're getting a lot out of a playground too, but it's just so, it's so much more 3D. I mean, it's not even close. A tree compared to, you know, square pegs and 90 degree angles and, and very like not a lot of texture to the fixtures and things like that. So I, I didn't realize before that happened just how powerful it is to get sensation and texture. And you're in Mother Nature. Like there's something that's powerful about that that goes, I think that goes unnoticed. We don't talk about it often, but I think that. It's even, um, I start. I was doing some hill, like hill runs in kind of a wooded area with the training group this past year. And I just noticed how just being in the trees changes the, the feeling of the whole thing versus if you had like a ramp with nothing on it, you know? And, the, but one thing you said, I really like that made me think about, um, and I've thought, of, I've thought about this too, is my son, he is too, and he's loved this ever for forever, ever since he's been like 16 months, but we go to the river, he'll just want to throw stones. And it's like, it's not even just, you get one benefit from all the, it's just all different weights. It's never going to be the same thing. Your body has to do all sorts of different weights and shapes and all this, but you also are barefoot, hopefully. And it's like, we talk about good throwers and good pitchers and they have, oftentimes there's a good like you know, tensegrity from the foot up. I know at least in cricket stuff, and Jones talks about this a lot, how yeah, that back foot contact is really quick. These elastic throwers, it's like, what better way to connect the whole body in this full immersive sensory experience than being barefoot on the ground, a char- you know, charged ground, You, if you want to bring earthing into it too, and all these different little sensations on your foot. And like David Gray said when he last time he was on this podcast, he talks about, oh, barefoot training is so great. It's not great if you're on a a wood floor that's like, you know, or a totally flat floor where there's zero sensory information coming in. It's really not a whole lot better than being in shoes, to be honest. You have to have these little sensations or irritations and you combine that with different weights. And I think, wow, this this two-year-old is doing this with no coaching completely innately. No wonder these athletes are going to grow up and get better versus... I'm going to coach you up. I'm going to show you how to put your arm this way and X, Y, Z. And I know we'll get into all the overcoaching, but I just, I love what nature gives us from um, an observational perspective, especially watching children just operate in nature and seeing what they do and be like, okay, oh, this would be a cool idea for, 
the athletes I work with and just getting things out of that. And the biggest thing too, Joel, is, is the risk-taking element. And I think not many, I don't know how many coaches truly appreciate the importance of that. And again, when I say that, I'm not saying I'm putting my daughter in danger, but I think that's so important. I think it's so important to create some type of situation where there is some risk involved. And, and it's very interesting kind of seeing her at the beginning or in my athletes too, at the beginning, and then allowing them to have that interaction with the environment and just how it has changed and gave them the confidence, you know, to try new things. Like the whole idea of safe uncertainty with Keith Davids. I think that's something that is ignored. And I think is one of the most powerful things that we can give an athlete. Yeah, I think it's, aside from the physical side of things, that's another big thing I noticed. Yeah, I see that all the time just in working with like high jumpers. I mean, just and that's a more, I guess you could say, if there's not a lot of perception reaction going outside of the bar <laughs> and approaching the bar versus other people, you know, coming at you. But yeah. even watching people's risk taking and risk aversion will generally will tell me that they're sealing a development in that event on some level because. You're, you have to turn your, or I mean, let alone pole vault or something like that. But you see that show up in a small event like that. And I, the more you talk about those things, the more I think about, especially watching children, you think about without trying to be, you know, the, 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 per, the parent who's like, oh, my kid's going to do this. Some like, you know, they can do whatever they want. But I try to think about now, just because I think it helps me full circle is like, what will they be like later? I think about this, like, what will they be like later? Like, what am I seeing now that I'm going to see later? Cause I think about athletes I coach who are older. And I'm like, well, what, what was their development like? What was their path, not just physically, but also mentally? Like, like you said, risk-taking. Um, what emotion do you associate to training? And I think that's big too with nature is like when you're nature, it's all play and it's not, you're not getting judged for failing versus like, like jumping off a rock versus, okay, we're going to do depth landings, even depth landings. Okay, drop off this 30-inch box. I want us to be in this position and be really quiet and land in this. And again, I think that's good. Like, it's good to, to be able to do that. But if everything has an emotional, you did this right, you did this wrong judgment to it, I'm starting to look even at how that works in the athlete's expressions and, and the looks on their face when they're doing things. And I think that goes a really long way. And so, I just had that thought of how this fits into this this play base and i don't think it's just kids i think this is everybody and i hope yeah i'm looking forward to getting into how you've ported this over to your older groups yeah i mean absolutely and the one the the one thing especially with the you know psychological emotional side it is tra- it, it's and i don't want to use the word trainable but it, it it can be improved or it can be what's the word i'm looking for it can be it's just, especially once an athlete gets to a certain, it's, it's almost like it's, it's everything is pre-planned, predictable. Everything is, okay, we're going to do this a certain way, especially when I get an athlete, I guess I can go this direction, especially when we get an athlete that has been say under, you know, has been involved with a certain program or a certain organization and they've done things very traditionally. And I'm not saying that stuff is wrong again. And I don't want to come off as, you know, we don't believe in doing any of the traditional side of things, but it's very powerful when the stuff we said, you know, whether we're getting out into nature, whether we're giving a little bit more autonomy in the weight room, whether we're allowing, you know, the athletes to design some of the, you know, some of our movement activities, it's amazing just seeing how that affects and influences everything else that's going on in their life. So it will improve their bench numbers. It will help 
them, you know, manage stress with, with school or with relationships. It's something that I've been, you got to dive deeper. And there, there's more to this sport performance realm than, you know, the sets and reps and perfect form on a back squat or uh, how high you jump, you know, on, uh, you know, uh, on the just jump mat. Especially with the older athletes, I think you have to, it, it, it does take time because that's a big thing with, with, and I know now you're kind of more in the private sector. It's, we're running a bit, it's a business. And so you got to, it, it, it take, we take little steps, especially because with the younger athletes, we throw them right in. They love it. They eat that up. If we, if we go away from it, they come back. We want to, uh, Jamie, we want to go back to, and it's like, okay, great. We will, I'll do every, we try to do everything play, you know, we, yes. uh, especially with it, you know, anything 11 and under everything is play, 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 play. But then with the older, it's, it's just slowly kind of getting them. But once they get a feel for it and once they start to see, okay, we don't need to be doing five sets of 10 or two hours of, of weight room stuff. We just need to do this and sprinkle in other, you know, the, this, this play or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, mother nature training, whatever you want to call it. You just see everything else improve. You see, and like you said, you see, you see a different human being. You see a person that is enjoying the process. You're seeing someone and this, this is, and I'm sorry, I don't want to go off on tangents, but I just thought of this, uh, you know, so I primarily work, I have a lot of hockey, right? And hockey is a very grueling, especially at such a young age, seasons are so long. And by the time we hit January, end of January, early February, kids are miserable. And I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're winning. It's just the amount of games and the amount of just volume of skating these kids do, I would be miserable too. Mm -hmm. But I've had, I had two kids that at the junior level. So these kids are like 18, 19, 20 years old to give you context. We did this type of stuff during the season where we had them. And I'm, this is going to sound crazy. We had a snowball fight. We did different draw. You know, we did different bounds. We had a, I asked the guy that I rent space from to when he was plowing to create like a 45 degree mound. And so we let it freeze over. We did different bounds off the mound. But anyway, so we did some of this play type stuff. And I'm telling you the, the, the mood I saw these kids at the end of the season, you would think that they didn't even play a season. And then from the physical side of things, everything was great. No soft tissue injuries, all that type of stuff. Everything was good, but they were happy. And it just makes me think it's like, if you're enjoying what you're doing, Maybe that is the most important thing. Sorry, I know I went off on a couple of different yeah. ways there. But. No, I, I think that I've been thinking about that a little bit too. I, I think that, I mean, you could say maybe, and this, this goes out, like zooms out a layer. Like why did our, how did, how did our youth sports end up this way? Because enjoyment, I mean, I think that leisure time is more in our, in our nature than we think it is. Like, I think we, as a society, we prioritize grinding and working really hard and sleeping less and doing more. And you could even say that our society is in a state of overdoing. I mean, and so I think that just works its way into what happens with the kids, which is really unfortunate. But it's almost like maybe we can learn from the kids a snowball fight. I mean, it's I think how much more fun would the workplace be if, you know, when it's snowing out, everyone had, went and had a snowball fight, you know, after lunch or something like that. Because <laughs> we played dodgeball. And so we were thinking about it. And one of my older guys was they were screwing around. And so the old me would have been like, hey, cut it out. What the hell are you doing? But the new me, I saw that, <laughs> and then I made one and I threw it. You know what I'm saying? And I got involved in it. But it's it's 
and I get so much and in 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 it's not everyone, but okay, they'll do this on their own. They'll go out and they'll Joel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but backyard sports is is non-existent anymore. Yes. Snowball fights. It's frowned upon. You know, doing these different manhunt, capture the flag, you know, all these real simple games are just not played anymore. And so that's where I see myself. I'm saying, okay, you know, this is, in my opinion, this is important. And if they're not getting it, well, guess what? They're going to get it with me and we're going to do it. And I'm seeing, I'm just, whether you disagree or agree, whatever, I am seeing what's happening in my four walls and with the athletes that I have the pleasure of working with. And it's, I'm never going back. I'm never, I'm never going back. And it's something that it's, when you look at the physical, the psychological, the emotional, and the social, and you understand that all those four are connected and you can't leave one of them out, it's a pretty powerful stimulus for athletic development. Yeah, that actually, what you just said there is just, if every coach just knew that, those four things, I, the sports world would be such a better place. And, and like really invested it, if they spent equal time. And the thing is, too, I think so often with like the technical, we think we know so much. And even even me, I'm constantly reminded that I don't know as much as I think I do, especially like working with a new population of athletes, even an event I've coached my whole life. It's a new population. These are different. There's different mentalities. There's different ways they've done things. There's different constraints. I have to learn things all over again. And I'm realizing how actually could you say those four things again, just so I can like (laughs) write it down or have it on the top of my mind. But the, the the physical, psychological, yeah, those so, ones? So, yeah, physical, psychological, social, and, and what was? And emotional. And emotional, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's something I take, honestly, me and my assistant, we, I, I, and that's something I really, I truly practice. And I really take into consideration every time we uh, plan a session, right? I plan whatever the movements, the games, the plyometrics, the speed, all this stuff, because we do everything. I keep those four in mind. And at the top of my notebook, because I'm old school, I write everything out and then I type it. So I do both, but I have those four words and I really take that into consideration when we're trying to teach skill A, skill B, skill C. It's just, you can't leave them all out. It's not that simple. And that's something that's, it's a priority for, for me to keep all those, have all those four elements while, you know, designing and trying to, you know, evolve and make things better. If you've listened to this show for a while, then you might understand the power of observing mother nature when it comes to working with athletes. This might be to the point where I've worked with many elite coaches who have spent time watching animals, for example, to make biomechanical inroads to working with athletes on how we can work better. You can really never go wrong with observing nature in action. I've made a similar jump in the world of nutrition, where I really now look to what nature can provide us from a supplementation standpoint. If you would have asked me about herbalism five years ago, I would have just thought about the Jinko biloba capsules at the local drugstore as some sort of low-grade health alternative. But these days, I've found my way into performance herbalism, featuring high-grade, immaculately sourced herbs that serve very specific functions to my health, vitality, and even my strength development. With performance herbalism, Lost Empire Herbs is my go-to company for all things herbs. Two times podcast guest Logan Christopher, who is also a very accomplished strongman amongst other things, is their CEO. And I use several of Lost Empire Herbs formulas and tinctures in my total nutrition regimen, and I've achieved great results, would absolutely recommend it to anybody. If you want to check out my favorite herbs, as well as learn a lot more about them, 
As well as get 15% off your order, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, where you can see some of my top herbs, such as shiliagit resin, which was mentioned by Grant Fowler a few episodes back. So head on over to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly for 15% off some of my favorite herbs for health and performance. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, when's the last time the average coach sat down and said, how is the emotional flow going to be here in this practice? How is this going to impact athletes' emotional states? And like, are they having fun? How is this their emotional state going throughout the course of the season? Like, we don't ask those questions. So, I mean, I love talking like youth development, but I do want to make this kind of like a full spectrum show. So I'd love to talk a little bit about how these ideas with nature and then the four elements are impacting. Um, and maybe we could start just kind of wrapping up what you're doing like on the youth level maybe before age 12 you said it's all play but then let's get into after age 12 so where they can start doing more formal training some of those the more disciplined things can start really being laid down how does things work in your system as athletes move through that series yeah so so the goal is to get them young right and to keep them and to Mm -hmm. keep them you know throughout you know so we have 7 to 11 we call our fundamentals level and we are starting to do a pre-fundamentals, which is kind of five, six, seven, which it, it's basically the same thing. It's just, it's just a younger population. But then after 7-Eleven, when we get into our foundation level, which is 12, 13, 14, I mean, and I know you probably see this now, you know, you might get a 14-year-old, he might look like he's 19, but at the same time, you might get a different 14-year-old mm-hmm. and he looks like and acts like he's eight. So it's a very unique, it's a very unique time in an athlete's, you know, in, in their life. So when they get to that foundation level, yes, there's a little bit more guidance. There's a little bit more, if you want to call it formal training, but still inside that, we still try to make this a partnership. We still try to, we still take into consideration, like I said, those four components, whether it's, you know, just giving them simple options. It blows my mind just giving an athlete. So saying, okay, so I'm big on creating training menus. With our athletes, we were big on creating this partnership, right? And so with our older athletes, these menus are extensive. It, it might be 20, 30, 40 different options. But with the younger athletes, okay, the training menus, it just might be two options where we're just giving them a choice, right? We're giving them the chance to, to make a decision and stick with that decision. Because from my experience, that's also going to teach ownership. And so something we do uniquely, uh, I don't know, I haven't really seen or talked to anyone that does it this way, but whatever they choose for however long, so say it's a, it's a, so now we're talking traditional language, say it's a two week training block or a three week training block. They have to stick with their choice for the next two to three weeks. And then we slowly just see, see how they respond, see what they like, see. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a constant process. You know, it's a dynamic process. It was, you know, it's ups and downs. But the big thing is they have a say because, again, going back to kind of those four different components, it blows my mind when we talk, when I talk to parents uh, or when I have my initial meetings with athletes. So any new athlete that steps through our doors, we set up a 10 to 15, 10 to 15 minute meeting. And I just want to get to know them from a from a human level. And it just blows my it's just their 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 life is just so structured. Everything is pre-planned. Everything, it's like, it's literally the mom or dad will pull out their phone. Yep, Jimmy's got this, 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 this. And this has to play a role in, in, in human development, in athletic development. It has to. And so this giving them the choice, giving them the, the autonomy to say, okay, I'm going to hold the dumbbell here instead of there, or I'm going to put my foot this way instead of 
it, it goes a long way. And, my, and especially with athletes that are, are going through changes, I think it's important for them in, so say in the weight room, whether it's to say it's a split squat or it's a, a deadlift pattern or a push-up pattern, giving them just allow them to, to solve the problem of pushing, doing a push-up or, or doing a split squat is their heel off the ground. All right. Are they having more of a vertical shin? Is that shin a little bit more positive? You know, are we going to put a wedge and it's going to force the foot to pronate a little bit more? Is the dumbbell contralateral? Is it ipsilateral? Is it goblet? So we let them try to just solve the problem and we, we give them that choice of how, you know, of, of how to do so. I don't know which direction you want to go with, with that. I have some ideas, actually. You, you got a lot of things going in my head there. I, first off, maybe we could follow up this in, up on this in a second. As you talked about the coach as a partnership. I think we don't really, we don't really think about that. I mean, I think it's like, I thought, I think a lot of people when they get started coaching, it's like, oh yeah, I, the sport or this, this, this exercise gave me a lot of like, you know, happiness and I felt validated and I felt good doing it. So I want to do this. And I think sometimes when we flip that, we think, oh, well, my job now is to give everyone just total instructions on everything. And, and I, it makes me feel good to do that because I'm coaching them up. But I think about my own, I've mentioned this on this show before, I've thought about my own development as an athlete. I was like, I learned everything myself. I mean, probably too much, but like, I'm pretty convinced that if I would have competed in a different college situation where my coaches didn't give me the autonomy I needed, and they tried to like, say, you must do this in all your training and you can't have your own say, I wouldn't have high jumped, I high jumped seven feet, which was nice, but I wouldn't have cleared that barrier if. I wouldn't have been able to make my own decisions and have my own inputs. But somehow, when I flipped to being a coach, I was 23, I suddenly forgot about all that. It's like amnesia, that I had all this beautiful autonomy that helped me to make it my own. And I'm a high autonomy. I'm like the highest of the high autonomy needs, but too. Like I need to have a lot of say. And that frustrated a lot of my coaches. But I found my coaches actually in my past who were more attuned to mental, emotional, knew were the ones who really made it for me. Because they, what they offered was not, you know, the technical mastery. They just knew how to give me options and how to usher me towards what I needed without actually telling me that I needed to do it. And isn't that, the that coach's, was it. In my opinion, isn't that the coach's job? Yes. Isn't that, what's, isn't that the role of a coach? We don't, I don't think we see it that way though. And, yeah. but that's, and that's just the thing. And if, but if that was the cornerstone of coaching, I think the whole, not just even like, strength and power outputs or whatever you know i think for some reason that's people hold that in the house and that's important but i mean like you said everything gets better when when you have autonomy and you're enjoying what you're doing everything gets better and it's not just i mean but then if it doesn't we like try to tack it down to bench technique or something oh you're not strong because your bench technique is bad oh you, you need to arch your back more you need to do it this way and you'll lift more and it's like well no like your your battery your human organism is powered by emotions and biochemistry and part of that is decision making and having fun and feeling like you're doing the right thing and so as I, I remember I coached for it wasn't until I was 28 or 29 so I've been coaching for six years where a coach uh, a track coach at Cal told me about a coach that he used to work with uh, he said that in the peaking season he would like the last two weeks before like the, the conference championships or something the coach would like just give athletes menu say hey do whatever you want today and I couldn't believe that. I was like, this is the most important thing. This is the peak and, and all this stuff. And you have to like, you know, have this magical little taper. And, and I was like, well, yeah, I couldn't, I had a hard time thinking that the athlete could have a menu. But then I realized 
that you have to give the athlete credit. They inu- intuitively know what they need. They know what they like, and they oftentimes know, even on a level, on a deep level, they know better than you as the coach what they really need, even though we like to think, I think, that we are these master planners. And yes, I, I, I've grown a lot in terms of you know, neurotyping and structures and all these things. Yeah, I, I've improved, but the athlete knows what they like. And so and, and then, so I heard that when I was 29 and then I got, had the opportunity to work with world-class swim coaches for the next like seven, eight years. And you see the same thing. You see menus, you see decisions, you see options, and you see putting ownership in the hand, in the hands of the athletes and the leaders on the team too. And I'm a different coach now, even, you know, coaching high jump uh, on the high school level now. And I think to myself, I, I, when I was coaching like youth high jump, like, you know, 10 year olds high jumping it's kind of like they like you said they they don't need all the options it's too much for them i just just lay out the cones in a, in a like a basic curve they need to run and they jump over the bar and we we just give them the chance to explore that but now i'm thinking on the level i'm coaching right now it's like man i need to like i was actually literally before we had this conversation i was thinking i need to trace like three different curve radius you know in different colors and give athletes the option right you can you can try this tight curve radius you can try this wider one or you can do this wider one Tell me what you like the most. It becomes more and more a big part of it. I think maybe the, the thing people might struggle with, especially young coaches, you want to feel like the athletes respect that you know what you're talking about, you know, that it's not a free, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I've had, I've had conversations with swim coaches saying, well, because I'm not a great swimmer, but I, I've had a chat with a swim coach once like saying, well, if I just could lead the athlete appropriately saying, here's the constraints, what did you notice, you know, like. I wouldn't be half, I, I might not be half bad just by appropriately giving the athlete ownership over things, even though I don't know the sport, you know, as intimately as a lot of coaches. So I just think there's almost taking things from an athlete first perspective would be a huge you know, experience for any coach. So absolutely. And so we will have people come in and observe and they get confused or, and I, and and it's very interesting because whether, you know, it's a other coach, whether it's a parent watching, whether it's a, it's a future athlete, a lot of times I'm quiet and I'm observing, I'm watching, I'm listening. I'm kind of taking in what's going on. And I think there's a misconception that as a coach, you need to be giving cues. You need to be constantly talking. You need to be constantly, in my opinion, distracting what's going on. And so at the beginning of every session, at the beginning of every day, me and my assistant, I brief them and we go over kind of what the objective is, what we need to improve on, you know, as, as coaches or, you know, as a whole, as a program. And one of the things we talk about is who can say the least amount of words. And that's something, especially once, and I'm not saying this isn't for, okay, we have a brand new athlete. I'm not going to say anything to the, to the kid, but once kids have some experience and obviously that's subjective and that's, that's my call. But once I feel it's appropriate, I really try not to say a damn word. I really try to allow my design. I really try, and I mean this, I really try to allow what we have designed to try to do, you know, do most of the coaching. And unless they're putting themselves in harm's way, which is very, 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 very rare, understanding that it's okay for it to not be perfect. It's okay for it to not be 90 degree angles or a complete, you know, upper back is completely flat or what have, whatever it may be, whatever the, you know, whatever the norm is, you know, from a biomechanical standpoint, understanding that there is going to be some, you know, breakdowns, there is going to be 
that learning process and you have to be okay with it and you have to be okay. Okay. So say, you know, a, a parent is walking by, it's okay. If you're not saying something, it's okay. Cause this is, this is how athletes learn. This is how athletes develop. And this is something I am constantly trying to educate. I'm trying to teach, especially not in just in the strength and conditioning world, but in, you know, the sport world, because every coach, it's got to be done a certain way. And if not, then, okay, you're running suicides, you're doing pushups, you're doing gassers, you're doing up down, whatever you're doing blue line to blue line, whatever the sport may be. If you're not doing something a certain way, there's always that negative consequence. And that's something I'm trying to change. That's something I'm really trying to educate the coaches, the masses, the parents that this stuff is not linear. This stuff is going to take time. There's going to be like we talked about ups and downs and you have to be okay with it. And I always tell them, do you rather have a better, you want to have a, a, a better practice player or, you know, you want to, you want to have a, an athlete that is a competitor and is, and can play come game day. And so that's just the biggest thing that I am trying to do is really be quiet. That doesn't mean I'm not doing my job. That doesn't mean that I'm taking notes and I'm watching and I'm videoing and I'm taking in a, a ton of information to try to come up for the next time I meet with this athlete to give them the, you know, the best product, the best program, but you don't always have to use your mouth. You don't always have to use words. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You, you said something a while ago, you're talking about how just, just how structured these athletes day is. And it's almost like, and this is again, I think a disconnection from our true nature. We view man, our brain as this machine. And if we input X, Y, Z, we get X, Y, Z out. Like it's as if people think about it that way. But at the end of the day, a brilliant swim coach, a consultant, his name was Milton Elms. Had he, did a lot of work in the Pacific Islands in swimming. And he talked about athletes who just grew up in the water and no one coached them. They just grew up in the water playing and doing whatever. And he had said that those athletes were just so much more fluid and everything was so, so much more graceful and easy for them versus, you know, these swim programs are just everything. It's do a stroke this way, hold your arm this way. It's almost like it's the same. It's This is the same whether I think it's programming a child physically or mentally. Things parents say to their child from a belief system perspective or a coach saying it from a, it's almost like even to the point where I don't want to get too out there, but like I've heard even this, the idea that even as soon as you tell a child that a bird is actually, that is a bird, like that is this, you limit their imagination. You, you do something to that child that can limit their view of what is, again, I'm, I don't understand that fully, but I thought that was an interesting idea, but it's almost like when you tell an athlete, well, the technique has to be this way. You have to hold your arm this way. You have to do this. You're starting to instill these programs that eventually become subconscious in the athlete that kind of limits their ability. And I, I think of it this way. It's, and it's funny for me, I, I didn't even realize <laughs> it's so sad. I mean, to me, I feel like it's sad. Like I, I didn't like get with this program until recently, but even just the ability of athletes, like in high jump, for example, or even a jump takeoff, like some athletes are more linear and some athletes use a lot more rotation. They'll let like really let like the plant like swing around like a barn door rotationally and hit and stick this plant versus other athletes just can't seem to do that. And recently realized that a lot of that has to do with the shape of their rib cage and is their rib cage kind of stuck and is are they more of an exhaled wide infrasternal angle and they're kind of narrowed and they don't really rotate well just period and then there's people who are more like a more of a round rib cage and they can rotate really well and they have a narrow angle and these athletes are going to do it's like the brain's going to do the best it can with what it has and it's like you know it's everything else i'm telling an athlete who has maybe certain physical gifts to do this movement like an athlete has different physical gifts and so I just think that we, we break that. Yeah. Right. We, yeah. And we, should, we, and we should go with the strengths and yes, there's going to be weaknesses and there's going to be time and place for that. But I think instead of going right to the weakness or right to the error, 
let's let's go to the strength and what the athlete's good at because that, that's 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 a strategy i have with new athletes is instead of telling them all right you're doing this like shit excuse my language <laughs> you're doing this you're doing this really well and get that you know have that as the first interaction than something where okay you suck you know i know everything yeah uh because that just doesn't work well because like you said and i love that you tell an athlete and it it's it's a simple it's to do this you know you need to do it this way. You need to do whatever it may be. You're limiting their their creative expression. And in my opinion, and you know, you can watch right now, you know, like the, the college basketball and some of these guys that can move. Dude, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Dude, it is creativity at the highest level. Watching what some of these guys can do with the basketball, it is unbelievable. And just so many coaches, it's it's you're and I understand that you're you feel like you're 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 doing your job and you're trying to help, but it's you're really limiting these kids, and it's really starting at a young, 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 young level. Because you said something earlier too, and I'm sorry, Joel, for going. You know, they keep rambling, but you said something about you know kids, you know, being attuned to their body. And what I'm finding is that especially at these younger ages where there's no play, there's too much structure. They don't have time. They don't have the experience to understand what that means or what that feels like. And so that's something where I want to step in, especially with trying to get with four, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds and, and, and getting them exposed to these games and in, in, in nature and problem solving and decision making and creativity. So they 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 have a chance to do so. Because ultimately, if you're going to become a professional athlete or whatever in life. You need to be a coach of your own body. You need mm-hmm. to understand, you know, what makes you tick, what you need to recover, what, when to, you know, push on the gas, when you need to push on the brake. And I think that if we don't address it now, these kids are going to have no idea. They're going to have no idea what is what, and it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a huge problem 10, 15 years down the road. I think we will, if there's not a change right now, you know, with our athletic development and how we, how we do things. I think that we are going to see, we're going to see a big difference in, you know, the United States as a whole compared to other, you know, other countries. So it will be interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I think we all need, to, you know, you think of almost like this, like total, like kind of, I don't know. I don't want to use the word consciousness, but this is total like system. It's like, you know, we just don't play enough. We don't, like I said in the beginning, we, I think that hopefully as all maybe all things will change you know kids if kids play more maybe adults will be a little let more willing to let the kids have the autonomy and embrace the play and i think we embrace that in our own lives as well and realize that children are not just miniature versions of adults but they have definitive needs for play and self-expression and autonomy and this athlete you have in front of you as a high school or college strength coach is not just the product of your you know, beautiful programming and, and periodization, but it's they're the product of everything they had before them all the way along the line. And it's just, I think about this a lot too. It's like, why is it that, you know, all the coaches who are like the professional coaches, like the, the, the respected coach is the one who works with the elite athletes, the ones who have been established and developed. And a lot of times those elite athletes, like they're, they're like, I, I think about uh, in track and field, it's really cool to see those athletes who are outside the box in their technique. Like uh, Aries Merritt is, I think he's still the world record holder in hurdles, the 110 high hurdles. And he has a very distinctive and unique like front arm action that not a lot of other athletes do. And you think to yourself, well, how did he come up with that? Because it's not something that's, I mean, some athlete co- hurdle coaches talk about it, but I feel like there had to be something along the line where he figured that out himself, that that was the best way to do it. 
And I, I don't know, I just feel like how, how can we empower athletes to find that earlier versus, you know, this is how you do it and, and, and everything that comes with that. So yeah, I, I feel like more people who devote their lives to coaching should really look to, and this would be my challenge for the industry. I don't say you have this, all your coaching has to be here, but at least to spend some time working with the youth or empowering the people who work with the young athletes or, and the young coaches, even if it is, and I have thought about this a lot of time, it is a dad volunteering his time or whatever, or a mom volunteering her time and they don't have time, but it's not hard. Like it's not difficult at all to just learn about what makes young athletes tick, that they're having fun, that they're able to be creative. These are things that I think are almost innately wired to us, in us as human beings, but somehow we have come up with this thought or idea that, oh no, they need to grind just like we do. They need to do this perfect, just like I need to be a perfectionist. And life doesn't work that way. No, you know, we're just, we're setting, we're setting these kids up for failure. We really are. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, a lot it's uh it's like a simple but uh, but such an important thing uh so i really like what you talked about it's like coming in how can i say the least giving athletes menus maybe uh, i'd like to dig just a little bit more into that uh in terms of maybe what is like what is like a session look like for you like athletes maybe older athletes coming in they have the menu or, or maybe like tell me a session with like younger athletes in light of this like walk me through it and walk me through a session with maybe a little bit older athletes in light of this. What does that look like? And, or yeah. maybe even if you want to, like five years ago versus now too. I think that'd be interesting as well. Oh God, I'd have to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so with the younger athletes, all right, I'm going to try to keep it simple. Okay, Joe, because there is so many, sure. so many different components. But let's just say for the younger athlete, when they first come in. So what I, what I tell, and so this is, let's just say this is seven to 11 years old. Okay. When they first come in just to get their, get their attention. So actually let me backtrack. When they first come in, we greet everyone. We say, what's up. We, we see how their day is going. We get them laughing. We get them. That's the most important thing. If they don't have a smile on their face, we don't start the training session. It's that simple. So we want, especially with, especially with the younger kids, we want them. Cause a lot of times too, they're still, they're trying to figure it out. Especially if we have a new younger kid, they're, you know, and, and it's funny, you'll get a kid that will just run right in and start tackling everyone and touching every damn thing in the gym. And then you'll get another kid that's kind of peeking around and, and hiding in the corner. So we make sure everyone's on the same page. Everyone's having fun. Everyone is, has that smile, but real simple. So we start with stances. So the first thing we do is we just go over some basic, basic stances and shapes. So whether it's like an athletic stance, a jump stance, a single lay stance, a split squats, whatever the stance may be. So we'll say, okay, guys, today the stances are boom, 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 athletic jump, single leg. And then, okay, guys, your task is you're going to play catch. You can choose a football. You can choose a Frisbee. You can choose a, a sponge ball. You can use our chaotic ball, whatever it may be. And literally their, their task is to stay in the stance and just play catch. And they're playing catch. They're playing catch, but they're getting to choose what ball they use. Okay, so that's a very simple, very simple one. Another thing with them, then we do basic, just simple isometrics. I think isometrics are one of the best tools in a coach's toolbox. We do it across the board, every level, every time of year, every session. We have some type of isometric in our program. And so it could be real simple. Okay, hey, guys, we need to do, we have these uh, nine movements or nine, we call them shapes, these nine shapes. Do you guys want to hold it for five seconds or 10 seconds? And some kids will choose five. Some kids, some kids would choose 10 and it's interesting to kind of see the kids that want to get after it. The kids that are like, all right, yeah, let's go. And they're more into it. They'll choose 10 and the other kids will choose five. And this is where the social kind of comes in. 
where the kids that are choosing five or choosing maybe the shorter range, they're kind of seeing what's going on. They're seeing some of these other kids are, are, are okay, we're going to go 10. We're going to challenge ourselves a little bit. And you can start to see the demeanor change. And then the next session, that one kid that said, oh, I'm going to do five. Yeah, let's do 10, Jamie. Let's do 10. So giving very simple options like that, that's what we, so they'll come in, we'll do our stances, we'll do our isometrics. And then after that, literally it's whatever, it, it changes every single session. It could be where we're focusing, you know, on maybe crawling. We do all different ways to challenge the skill of crawling. It could be simple. Okay, how are we going to teach them to jump without them even understanding that they're jumping? It could be, okay, we're going to do decision-making in a one-on-one situation. How can we do all these different things without them even having an idea? Typically at that level, we will, towards the end, so maybe say it's just for simplicity, it's a 12-week program. Probably the last maybe four or five weeks, then we'll say, okay, hey guys, do you guys want to do A, B, or C from a game standpoint and let them choose? But early on, usually we will guide all that and just kind of let them move, let them kind of figure things out. So that's kind of it in a, with, the, with the younger kids. At the beginning, we give that autonomy and then it's just basically play where they, they really have the autonomy to kind of try to do whatever they want within the activity. And that's something where very rarely I will say anything. I might joke with them. I may hop in with them and make fun of myself. I might do something where, where I do the, my movements will do the guiding or like I said, or the, the activity itself does all the guiding. Um, so that's for the youngest. Then with the older athletes, it really depends on the day. So we always start off the session. So s- same idea, same idea. We make sure the guys are, 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 are enjoying it. It's amazing when you, when you have a smile. And this is, uh, this might piss off a lot of people, but with what I, tr- in my training situation, I let the parents choose whether the kids can wear a mask or not. And so some do, some don't. And so I make sure though, the kids that have to wear a mask, they pull their mask down. I want to see that they're, they're, they're enjoying it. And that's really important to me. But anyway, so with the older athletes, we do some type of foot sensory stuff. And so that could be, like we said, walking on rocks. That could be with a sensory ball. So typically we have just, it's nothing fancy, Joel. I don't have deep pockets. It's literally just printed on our whiteboard. We have all these different menus for ankle foot series, for breathing, for isometrics. We have general shapes, specific shapes. And then from there, depending on the day, are we going into more, are we going to do a little bit more game and, and we call it coordination and more gameplay, or are we going to be more deliberate and do a, a one-on-one activity that's going to be more towards kind of an acceleration you know, where the solution is going to be more acceleration dominant. Is it going to be more change of direction dominant? Is it going to be more be top speed dominant? Is it going to be more curved? So it's just, it, depending on the day, we'll kind of dictate how we, how we offer those menus. When we get into, typically once, once we get into the problem solving, so after, so for sim- simplicity, after we hit our, our, we call them partner reactive skills. So that's something where we're always, so this is the last thing we do before we hit our speed and agility. So this is something where it could be just a simple 1v1 situation because in my opinion I like to keep that I, I like to keep that perception action coupled whatever you want to call it. I want to have that contextual information even if we're doing a three step burst say we're doing a three step acceleration burst I still want to have that human to human interaction I still think there's a there's a lot of importance especially with the older athletes but anyways but then once we get into the into the speed like say into a speed let's say simple we're doing Let's say we're doing a fly. Let's say we're doing a flying ten. All right, we'll we'll have menus. All right, some athletes will have say a, a ten yard buildup, twenty yard buildup, thirty yard buildup, and then depending on how they feel in the moment, and depending on 
at the beginning of the session, we gather some subjective information and we do it a couple different ways, but depending on how they feel, we will then guide them to say, okay, are we going to hit two reps? Are we going to hit three reps? And so we have different ranges for our speed work uh, from a volume standpoint that we allow the athletes to choose, you know, whether they're just hitting two reps, whether they're hitting three and we're really, and there's sometimes they do one extra rep and it, and it, it felt like shit and it's a learning experience. All right. You can't be greedy. All right. I really, I really am a, uh, really like that minimal effective dose, that minimalist kind of mindset where, you know, we're just going to do just enough to see, you know, you know, positive results or to see adaptations. And that's a learning process for kids. And that's okay. If you get greedy, you, you do that one extra rep on the sprint, or you do that one extra rep on a deadlift, it's going to catch up to you. And so it's, it's just, it's a, it's a good teaching tool. But anyways, we give options with that. And then if we get into our problem solving work, you know, it's shoot, it's, we give them options on where they want to set the goals, how many flags they're going to put on their belt. We will typically early on, we'll have a specific activity in mind, whether it's a one V one situation, but I will tell you, especially with our experienced athletes, if one of them comes to me and says, Hey coach, or Hey Jamie, if we put a one V two here, this is what I feel would could, could potentially happen. Run with it. Go the minute an athlete has an idea and has a reason for it. I let them run with it. It's literally, that is what I'm trying to do. I want them, I want them to be telling, okay, if we need to do this and then I'll watch and I'll see, I'll say, Hey, was that, was that good? Oh dude, that was, oh, let's keep running it. Let's, all right, let's, 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 you know, whatever, let's hit another rep at that in that situation. Um, or if I see it and it's like, yeah, that might be dangerous or that might be, yeah, that kind of sucks. After the end of the rep, I'll talk to them. I'm like, what do you guys think? And they'll look at me nine to 10 times. Yeah, that sucked. All right, let's change it up. Let's try to get it back to, you know, let's get back to the original situation. And I know a lot of people don't like this, but it, it, it's the art. It's the, it's in the moment. That's why, you know, you know, doing, you know, some of these ideas and trying to do it distance and I've, and I've tried it. It's just, it's really hard, man. And it's just, it's something that I don't have passion for. My passion is in the moment, reading these athletes, interacting with these athletes and really, like I said, you know, turning them into their own coach. And so then after that, then when we get into the weight room, then we have with our, say, if we're doing some plyometric type stuff, we'll give them options, you know, with the box heights, um, or if we're going out on the rocks or hurdle spacing, or if we're, okay, are we going to jump with load? Are we not going to jump with load? Are we going to jump with shoes on? Are you going to change your footwear? Are we going to put your right shoe on your left foot, your left shoe on your right foot? So we have all these different, we just call them constraints. And depending on the day, and it's the menu too. Depending on then, then we just give them the options and they choose. And it's just a constant. It's like I said, it's a partnership. I just don't have a blanket because there's so many different components. I can't just say, okay, we do this because it's constantly changing. It's, con- it's constantly evolving. But especially early on, okay, we give the kids freedom. All right. That, that initial, you know, with the stances and the isometrics, all right, there's still some options. That is the most guidance they get. Everything else is, okay, I designed an activity. Let's go. Let's have fun. Let's, let's compete. Then with the older athletes, it's similar. It's a little bit more directed, but still, it's it, it's kind of guided play in a sense. We still will do speed work. We will still do plyometric work. We will still, you know, squat and bench press and do all that stuff. But from, uh, you know, a high-velocity movement standpoint, it's the same thing. We design it, let them go, let them compete. And then in the middle, that's where when we're going through puberty, when there's enough, like I've already talked about, where the, the body's changing and there's enough you know, of that kind of internal constraints where it's just their body that you might get a kid on Monday and his hormones might be completely different on the next time you see him on a Friday or whatever it is. 
And so, yes, there's a little bit more guidance. Yes, there's a little bit more structured, even though I hate that word. <laughs> but again, there's still those options. I don't know if that answers your question. But if you want me to go any deeper with any one of those things, I will. Sure. So just a question on the, you know, I, it intuitively makes sense to me, the, the young athletes, just give them something, let them compete. And, it, and then I'm sure with the younger, the things the young athletes are being asked to do, there's probably some inherent variability to it as well. That just, it takes care of itself uh, with like, you know, play and exploring movement options. I'm curious with the older athletes. So you have menus, I'm sure like you still compete in like a singular thing where everyone's competing at the same thing though. I'm sure like at some point, or do they, how does that work with what, they end up competing in with if they have more options for the older athletes. So I'm in a group setting, right? So we will have a specific thing we are trying to do. So if we're, if we're doing speed, so say if we're doing a speed, you know, if we're focused on acceleration, everyone is doing acceleration. All right. Or if we're doing a, a, an agility, everyone is doing agility. If we're doing plyometrics, everyone, but within that emphasis or in that, you know, whatever, you know, that uh, biomotor ability, you know, we have all these, we have these different options. And then as you, it's just simple. As you gain more experience with me, those options increase and increase and increase and increase. And it, it basically comes into a point where I don't, I don't know if I want to share this, but literally now I have, I have a couple of athletes where when I'm writing programs, they're with me writing the program, you know? So instead of me just being on the Excel and doing mm-hmm. everything, you know, and, and literally I have them in the office with me. What do you think about this? How do you think we can make this better? And I'm not saying another coach. I'm saying the athlete themselves. Yeah. So we have, it just, it, unless I, you know, and, and I'm hoping it will change where I can kind of have a million different qualities being trained at the same time. It's just with my situation and the logistics of, okay, I have a 2000 square foot rate room. It's just me and an assistant. Plus I do can get out onto, you know, open space. It's just, I got to be very strategic with how I do it. But there's an there's an emphasis, and then within that, then we have options. Got it. So, would you have a day? And I will say this before I make my comment here: is I have noticed for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that athletes who have more of an interest in the program, in those people who are like, look at the program. Oh, we're doing this today. Okay, what about this? And and or I, you know, athletes I work with in the online space. Obviously, it's not you can't don't have that like intuitive, like artful in person session at, at your disposal. So. But what I found is those athletes who have more like, hey, uh, I did this extra thing today. We've obviously talked about it, but like, hey, they'll make a note. Hey, I did this extra thing today because it felt good. Like, hey, I changed this because this had to happen. Those are oftentimes the athletes that I work with who get better results. As long as they're doing it, like as long as they, I think, know that it's not. I mean, obviously an athlete who's like, yeah, I ran extra five miles like hard because I wanted to like that's obviously going to work. But like within context, those people who are making those decisions who know how to operate they tend to get better that's results the process right joel yeah. and so that's where getting to know so some kids they want to be told everything some kids it's just it's a, it's a half and half it's a 50 50 where i'm gonna guide they're gonna they're gonna offer their opinion and then there's some kids that they just want to do everything they want to do everything on their own and it's just figuring out you know whether you want to do to call the neurotyping or what whatever type of uh, strategy you want to or tactic that you want to you you want to look at but it's just you know, understanding them as humans and understanding, okay, you know, what is going to be best for them? If, if, if it's someone like you, Joel, where you like that, you like that autonomy, you like to make those decisions. I'm going to embrace that. And I'm going to say, okay, you know, I'm going to be very strategic with the options I give you instead of another kid where it's like, okay, if it's more of a, if, if it's a 50, 50, then I might, you know, I might take a step back a little bit. So it's just getting to know those, getting to know the athletes and, be, and being okay with 
you know, who they are as, as, as a human being. Yeah, man. Last, last thing to wrap it up. And, Cause this, this goes back to all the way when we started talking about this is like the ideas you're getting from nature, watching kids jump off boulders and throwing rocks with your, in your bare feet and stuff like that. And I, it got me thinking, I mentioned this before we started recording, but um, Ted Ustarzynski wrote a great book, uh, Explosive Jumping Ability for All Athletes. I, it's, he was years ahead of his time. And one of the things he had his jumpers do in the off season was like repeat. It's very common for track coaches to do like repeat 150s or repeat 200 tempo training for jumpers, just developing elasticity and some basic qualities and things like that. But he would do it on like a trail, like a random, you know, trail in the forest, run 200. And I love that. Like if that is at my disposal, I will 100% of the time in the off season, not 100%, but very often in the off season, I would choose that just because it's always different. And so obviously we don't have trails around, but like, I'm just curious if, if anything you were talking about at the beginning had impacted what you're doing, like with the older athletes or even the, young, the younger, obviously, but like oh. um, in, I know you, you know, you said they were, you had them maybe jumping off rocks or something, but I'm just curious full circle if that's impacted your thought line here as well. Oh, uh, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Because yeah, it's a, there are a bunch of mini problems. Like, so like you said, if you're running in the, in the woods um, and like I talked about, you know, just exploring the woods, there are a bunch of mini problems and you need to very, very quickly and very effectively, you need to find solutions to all these different problems. You know, whether if the surface is, is wet or not, whether it's at a steep angle or not, whether, you know, the branch is thin or thick, whatever it may be, or the, you know, the boulder might move, the rock mm-hmm. is actually, it, it's moving, it's unstable. They're all mini problems. And so absolutely, dude, we look, I mean, it's to the point now where, so let me give an example, older athletes, we train at nighttime. We will, we will design activities where part of it is we have light. So say we're outside and we have the lights on, but then I have, I turn the lights off and have them mm-hmm. problem solve in the dark where I'm starting to take away some of their eyesight. I'm starting to have them use other sensory systems. You know, I've done it where eyes close, but taking that light away, it's very interesting to see how those movement problems and those movement solutions kind of change. Um, so we'll do that. We'll do that where we change the surf. We'll change. Most recently, I had a, a group of high school females where we had three inches snow out. We still did our, our 2v2 agility activity in the snow, and I did <laughs> not shovel it. I did not plow it. We got into it, and by the end of them, they were all it was it was unbelievable. Just the that was the best session of the entire winter program. That's awesome. And they were at the end, they were doing snow, you know, snow angels, and then we had the best lift. I, I, I want to say I'd have to look at it, but we had three or four PRs on a deadlift. Wow. Top our deadlift. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 using using the environment and before when you thought of it, oh, this is a pain in the ass. So say like humidity, or okay, we can't turn lights on. Oh, there's rocks there. Oh, there's snow there. It's like yeah, there's snow there. Let's use it. Mm-hmm. Let's try to use this in a safe way. I'm not, I'm not creating harm in a very safe control in a, in a, in a way that the kids aren't going to get hurt, but it has that element of play. It has that element where it's problem solving. And that's what I'm trying to do, especially with, with, with the higher velocity movements, with the speed and agility, all that stuff's important. But when you, when you combine the two, you allow these, these, these skills and qualities to be emergent and authentic. Dude, I don't, I don't think there's anything else that I can do. I think that's the best thing I can do for kids. Yeah, I agree. It's, it goes back to, I mean, if you just watch Rocky, Rocky versus Ivan Drago and Rocky four, you know, that it's the totally structured versus, you know, autonomous create with what you have. And I think it, that something about that resides in all of us, but it's good stuff today, man. I, I, I love this. I'll need to come visit your gym sometime. 
and see all this in action. You're always I, welcome, Jill. Always I, welcome. Your your coaching style would have been that would have been uh, something that I know my high autonomy need would have needed. I probably would have been one of those kids like trying to say, "Hey, what about this you know, exercise in your <laughs> office?" So really cool. I, thanks so much for being on the show, Jamie. Man, honestly, really and honestly, Jill, I appreciate that. But that's where the that's where the best ideas come from. You know, yeah. it's just it's it's yep. having some of the athletes challenging me and saying, "What about this?" But why did you do this? And it's like, huh? Maybe if we do do it this way this actually will be better and being okay with that putting mm-hmm. your ego aside and saying, okay, I don't, like you said, I don't know everything and that's okay. You know, but thank you for the time, Joel. I really appreciate it. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. All right. Thanks for being here. If you enjoyed the show, you can help us out by leaving us a rating review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. We'd really appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.